another announcement we have uh, in three weeks um, is our 40th anniversary. I don't know if you guys knew that. 40 years ago, we started, my wife and I started Destiny Church. We were Country Bible Church at the time. And so that was 40 years ago in three weeks. Three weeks' time will be 40 years. That's a milestone. It's amazing. So, so we asked, um, we asked David Wagner, um, who is the loving prophet, to come. And uh, he, he'll be with us uh, uh, the uh, uh, Saturday, which is, I think is the third, Saturday night, and then on Sunday, two, sun, two services on Sunday. So three services. So uh, I just believe that he'll give us a word, amen, for our season that we're in. And so I want to invite you all to come. Uh, he moves a lot in prophecy, personal prophecy. And, uh, and so we've always really enjoyed having him here, and he'll be a blessing to us. I want to do one more thing before we quit. Before I, not quit the service, but before I quit giving announcements. But let's all stand one more time. I want to do this. Uh, I want us to pray for our nation uh, again today. And so I'd tell you to gr join hands, but we're social distancing. So if you want to just touch elbows, whatever, but, um, or just forget about it. Just let's pray. <laughs> just agree with me. Without, don't touch nobody. Okay, but let's just agree together and pray. Lord, we just are grateful for everything that you've done. Thank you for America, Lord. We love this nation. We believe it was started by you, and its principles are honoring to you. They're founded in your, in your word, Lord, and we're just so grateful for America. And God, we just pray for this nation. We pray for there to be a tremendous unity that would sweep our nation, Lord. We pray for a great awakening in our nation, Lord, uh, that would just sweep it from uh, north to south to east to west, Lord, that you would cause this nation to rise like never before. And, Father, there would be a, a baptism of love that would sweep this nation, Lord. We pray for our uh, upcoming election, Lord, that you would have your way in that election, Lord. And we just speak to every force of darkness that would try to disrupt this election and the outcome of it right now. In Jesus' name, we declare your kingdom come to America. Your will be done in this nation, Lord. We just pray, God, that you bless our leaders and, and give us leaders after your heart, Lord. That's what we pray, God. We just thank you, Lord, that, that your hand is mightily upon this nation. And we thank you, God, for it. It will fulfill its divine purpose. We declare that. Everybody agree, say amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. The last few weeks, I've been talking to you about um, unity. And then we kind of went into this uh, very, strange very strange subject for me because I'm a Bible teacher and I'm, I'm kind of like one of these people that I believe the Bible from the beginning to the maps. I mean, I believe every word of it and I'm offended when somebody comes and tries to say that the Bible is not true or parts of it's not true. All scripture is, is inspired by God. That's how I feel. And... Um, uh, and so lately what I've been talking about a little bit is how I was so uh, taken back when I started thinking about the early church and how they really didn't have what we have. They didn't have the, of course, they didn't have the New Testament because the New Testament didn't start to be written until like A.D. 40, in the 40s A.D., and then uh, all the way up until like uh, 60, 70 A.D., the Bible's the letters were written, and so and then it was very difficult for people to read the Bible uh, because you know they didn't have printing presses, and so the letters were were circulated, they were copied and circulated and read in churches and stuff, and so it was very difficult 
for people to really hear God's word. And so, but it was amazing how much they accomplished, uh, how much they accomplished with just simple truths that they had. And they had a lot, you know, they had a lot more experience than they had word. A lot more experiences that they had word. And so a lot of the scriptures, if you read the New Testament, their letters are corrective in nature. They're correcting things because people were getting off, off balance, off into crazy ditches. And so they were correcting the abuses and the, and the doctrinal things that were coming out. And they were do, so that's when you read the letters, you get a lot of that correction nature in there. And, um, and so what happens over the years is that people start to lose spirit and they become like word people. We call them word, you know, word people. And they don't, they don't strike a balance between word and spirit. And, uh, you know, like one time I was listening to these, um, I was listening to these, an atheist and a college professor who wasn't really a Christian, but he was kind of sympathetic toward Christianity. And they were debating Christianity and its effect on the world. And this one college professor who was an atheist, you know, was bringing up, because how many know this is true? If you study uh, history and you look at the Christ Christianity throughout history, it's not always that great. I mean, we had times like the Inquisition, uh, and, and, but most of it was based on if you, were, if you were believing something that the church did not endorse, or if you were believing a doctrine the church did not endorse, then the, 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 uh, you're guilty of heresy, and the punishment is death by burning. And that was under the guise of Christianity. In fact, Martin Luther, you know, this is, uh, you know, we have a Lutheran community here. And uh, Martin Luther, he was actually, you know, his 95 thesis against indulgences, he nailed to the, the, the synagogue or the church wall there. He was actually uh, tried at the, at the court of worms, and he was found guilty of heresy. And they were bringing him to be killed, be, to be burnt at the stake. And his disciples came by force and took him. And then he went and began to interpret the scriptures in the language of the people. But, but they, they took, the church at that time, took a very dim view of anybody who believed something different than what we believe. And I, I feel that sometimes that, that, that's happening even today. That if you, if you believe something that someone else doesn't believe, they feel the need to, to, to uh, crucify you uh, your character, at least, because you aren't toting the, uh, all the doctrinal beliefs. And, and the thing that I'm saying is this, is that there are essential doctrines and there's non-essential doctrines. The things that we don't disagree on are, are usually essential doctrines. We usually agree on essential doctrine. You know, who Jesus is, what he did, the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, Jesus coming back. Uh, certain beliefs that we agree on, we call them essential doctrines. And most denominations believe that. But there's a difference between denomination and denominationalism. Denominationalism, you could be non-denomination and be denominationalism. You follow what I'm saying? And so when you get into denominationalism, that's where you get this hatred and this horrible attitude toward anybody that disagrees with but what you believe. And, and usually I'm, I'm saying about non-essential things. I've said that that's kind of a review over the weeks that what I've been talking about. And so, you know, I, I try to make this point is that we're all part 
If you are a Christian, not, and not because you call yourself a Christian, but because you've been born again, you've had a born again experience, because you believed on Jesus, you trusted Christ to save you, then we're all a part of the same body. It doesn't matter what tag you put on yourself. You can put a non-tag on yourself or a tag on yourself. We're all a part of the same body. And the thing is, is that we have to learn to love each other and come together and stop crucifying each other over beliefs that differ that are non-essential beliefs. Non-essential beliefs. When it's a non-essential belief, God isn't as upset about it as we are. Well, I thought I'd get at least an amen about that, you know. Yeah, but except for that one that I believe that, you know, I don't know. And so it's so important because really Christianity, when you study Christianity over the years, it's done an incredible amount of good. You know, when I was listening to the, these two, uh, this atheist, and the, they're both college professors, as they talked, the, the, the college professor, and I'm not sure he was a Christian, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure he's not a Christian, but he was very sympathetic toward Christianity because he saw all the good that Christians had done, Christianity had done over the years. And, you know, like science is basically, most of the great scientists that years of years gone by were all Christians, strong Christians. Gal, Galileo, uh, Pasteur, um, uh, I can't think of all them one, but there's, they were all Christian, Isaac Newton, they were all strong Christians, and they were, it's kind of like Christianity uh, was the, gave birth to the science movement. And like even education, you know, people say, well, you know, Christianity is that, you know, they're not into education. But all the Ivy League colleges, uh, except for one of them, were all started by Christians. Harvard was started by Christians. Yale was started by Christians. Uh, Dartmouth was a missionary school when it started. They were all started by Christians. Christians were the, 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 uh, the motivation behind, um, behind education. Also, um, most of the uh, great organizations that are a blessing to humanity were started by Christians. The Red Cross, I mean, that's not a real hard one to figure out. Red Cross, I mean, that was started by a Christian, obviously. And, um, you know, other ones. And even the United States Constitution was based on the principles of Christianity. In fact, the Founding Fathers stated that, that the, the, the foundation principles of our nation were all, started by, were all based on, on Christianity. And so... We can see by that, and I could go on and on, but we can see by that that uh, Christianity has blessed the world, has, has blessed the world. You know, feeding, uh, feeding organizations, YMCA, uh, Salvation Army, all those, they were, they're all started by Christians. Most people don't realize the YMCA was started by Christians, but it was. And, um, and so all these things, uh, and so this is what this professor that was sympathetic to Christianity was arguing against this atheistic, Professor, But the atheistic professor brought up the years, all the things that has been done negatively about, uh, by Christians, like the Inquisition, the, the killing of people. But it's interesting that why they killed people was always over doctrine or beliefs. Isn't that interesting? Because we hold our doctrines or we hold our beliefs very, they're very important to us. But I want to just go into some things here. I want you to turn your Bibles to John, and I gave you this verse one week, but I want to just hit it a little bit harder here. So denominationalism is built on doctrinal agreement where the kingdom of God is built on covenant relationships 
uh, with other people that are also believers in Christ. And, uh, and so we need to come together. You know, it's interesting. I thought this was uh, really insightful that this college professor that was sympathetic to our Christianity, he made this statement, which I thought was really interesting. He said, when you study Christianity, this is what he said, when you study Christianity, there's a distinction you have to make between orthodox Christians and spiritual Christians. I thought that's interesting. He saw that it was more the orthodox, even though I believe in being orthodox, but the more orthodox Christians were the ones that were more, uh, should I say, murderous in their approach to people that disagreed, where the spiritual Christians were more apt to, to exhibit the commandment of love. We do remember, right, that, that we're under the commandment to love. We remember that, right? It's kind of hard to, to, to uh, you know, really sell the whole idea that I love you and I'm killing you. I mean, that, that's really a hard sell, isn't it? Yeah, I'm burning burn you at the stake here, but I love you. That doesn't feel like love. Or if I'm writing a letter about you, crucifying you openly in front of everybody, that's a hard sell to get people to, yeah, I believe that you love. I'm just doing this because I love you, really. It just doesn't feel like it. How many can see what I'm saying? And so we're still under the commandment to love. And so look at this verse here in John chapter 5. And uh, so it's possible to study the Bible, to, to, to memorize Scripture, but never come to the purpose of Scripture. How many can see that's true? And you can see it in this verse here. It's, Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He said, you search, this is verse 39, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me, a person, that you might have life. Notice he said here, he said, you're not willing to come. He said, you search the scripture. In fact, if you study what the Pharisees, how dedicated they were to memorizing scripture, to learning scripture, the teachings of scripture, they were very dedicated, far more than what we are today, far more. They had whole books of the Bible memorized, put, uh, you know, put to memory. And they were far more, what we would say, word people than what we are today. But he said, you search the scripture, for in them you think you have eternal life. But he said, and these are they which testify of me. They point to me. In other words, you can study the scripture, memorize scripture, and never get to the purpose of scripture or the reason for the scripture. The reason for the scripture is coming to Jesus, is coming to him, is having a relationship with him, having it personal and up close and, and intense. That was the purpose of scripture. He said, you study the scripture, you think you have eternal life, but they testify of me, a person. They, they should point you to me. They, if you have come to the purpose of scripture, you would have celebrated me when I came. But he said, but you will not come to me that you might have life. Isn't that interesting? And so in, in all of our learning, because I believe in learning right now, you're, I'm teaching, you're learning. I hope you're learning. So in all of our learning, there has to, in our minds, there has to be a thought. There's a destination in all of our learning. There's a destination. That destination is a relationship. In John 17 and verse 3, and this is why I always say this about Christianity, Christianity is not 
a religion, it's a relationship. It's a relationship with God, first of all, but then also a relationship with people. Christianity is defined in one word. Christianity in one word is relationship. In fact, look at your neighbor. Don't spit on him and say relationship. Relationship. Notice this verse here. Jesus said this in John 17, verse 3. He said, and this is eternal life. So he's going to tell you what eternal life is because eternal life or life is a main, main subject of John's teaching. Because he talked, remember the most famous verse in the Bible is John, in the New Testament is John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but what? Have everlasting or eternal life. So what is eternal life? I used to always think that it meant to live forever in heaven. But everybody's going to live forever, just in different locations. Right? Everybody's going to live forever. Everybody has eternal life, whether they've accepted Christ or not, in the sense that they're going to live forever. But eternal life is not, an ex, is not a destination of time. It's not a, a time uh, destination. Is that the right word? Des- that sounds like the wrong word. Uh, a length of time. But eternal life, he says it right here, he defines what it is, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. Notice that, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. What is eternal life? It's not a duration of time. It is a person that you are going to get to know. It is that they might know you, uh, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And so eternal life, when we receive Christ, the eternal life is knowing God. You know, it's interesting when Paul gave, because I was always, for a while there, was very interested in having a mission statement for my life. Like saying, this is going to be my mission in life. And so I was interested that Paul told you his mission statement. In Philippians chapter, chapter 3, he said, and, and, and this is some of the phrases in that mission statement. He said, that I may know him. You know, Paul already had an encounter with Christ. He already had, he already knew Jesus. But he said, that I may know him. I want to know him. And the Amplified brings it out. He goes, I want to become more and more acquainted with him in a more intense and more deeper way every day, all the time. I want to, my relationship with him to grow. I want to know him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, be made conformable to his death. And then it, when he ends that, he says, everyone that's mature has this same mindset. And so if you're a Christian today, your goal is to know him more intimately every day. That should be your mission. And so here's the point. Here's what I'm trying to say is knowing Scripture and knowing God are not always the same. I just thought I thought I'd pause, let that sink in, because we value Scripture so much, we think it's synonymous. But if it was synonymous, then the early or the Pharisees who searched the scriptures and knew the scripture by memory, they would have known Jesus as soon as he appeared. But they were the ones that tried to crucify him. So just because a person knows scripture doesn't mean they know Jesus. They should know Jesus because he is the purpose or he is the, he is the, he is the word made manifested, but it's not a given that because somebody knows scripture that they know Jesus. And there's a lot of times that people know scripture that they don't exhibit the spirit of Jesus. You know, Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He said they have a, they, that, that, that they, um, uh, knowledge puffs up. 
but love edifies. In other words, they have knowledge and their heads all puffed up, but they don't have the true nature of Jesus coming through their lives, which is love edifies or love builds up. And so the goal of Scripture, listen to this, this is a good point. The goal of Scripture is to bring us into a vital relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the goal of Scripture. The goal of Scripture is for us to know Him. The goal of Scripture is for us to know Him and, every, and consistently grow in our relationship with Him. You know, all of us have things that we need in our lives. We, we, have, uh, we have answers to prayer that we want. But sometimes what we don't realize is that God connects the increase in our intimacy with Him to answered prayer. So in other words, sometimes what we want is we want certain things, but it's only possible if our intimacy with God grows. Because Jesus said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask what you will shall be done unto you. And so our intimacy is oftentimes the problem, is that we want to stand off or stand at a distance, but we want to give God our request. But God's not after, after all of that. He's after us. He wants us. He wants to have communion. He wants to have fellowship with us. And that's what so, the ma major thing that there is with Christianity is that it's intimacy. See, Paul said in, in 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy chapter 3, or 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. In other words, there's no manifestation of power in their Christian life. Because power implies that you're connected to the source. Amen? And so power comes from being connected to the source. They have a form of God, but deny the power. For, and he says, from such, turn away. Then in verse 7, he says, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Because the truth is, truth is a person, and it's a relationship, personal relationship with him. And so we can't, we can't lose sight of the fact that everything that we do that's Christian, like when I get, come to church here and I'm in the worship service, I'm not just singing songs. I'm, I'm endeavoring to make a connection. I'm not, just, I'm not just saying, oh, that's a cute little song. That's cute. Oh, that's, good. that's a good one. Boy, those words are good. That's a good song. I'm, I'm endeavoring to make a connection because God is a person who wants to have a relationship with his creation. You know, it's interesting, the early church, it seemed like they had more experience than they had teaching, like I said earlier. They had more spirit than they had word. We, some, we have more word than we have spirit. And the letters of the New Testament were written to encourage us, to exhort us, to correct us, and to keep us on track. And so the letters were not, but the letters were not written to replace experiences. The, the letters were not written to, in, to, to replace encounters with God. Notice, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 just for a second. Let me show you what I'm talking about. So, so here's Paul spent a year and a half in this church. And they had evidently written him a letter because in chapter 7, verse 1, he said, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, then he starts, he starts discussing certain subjects, you know, um, husband and wife relationships in chapter 7, and should you be single, and so on and so forth, and um, remarriage in chapter 7. Chapter 8, he starts talking about things sacrificed to idols. And then in chapter, 
11, he talks about head covering in the church. Chapter 12, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. So now it's another subject that they had evidently asked him a question. Now, what's interesting about this, the old King James, the word gifts is italicized. Now concerning spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And one translation says, now concerning things that have to do with the operation of the, of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to be ignorant. So here's my point. My point is that they had, they had spiritual manifestations. They didn't have a lot of word because he's, now he's going to correct what's going on, the chaoticness of the church when it comes to spiritual manifestations. He's going to correct it. Notice the next thing that he says. He says, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. So in other words, their past was not, like they weren't like sinners, the good old boys, you know, you know some good old boy sinners. They were like into idol worship. And when you're into idol worship, you're into like wrong spirits, demons, that type of stuff. And they were into that. They, they, they had demonic manifestations in their church. And they were having a hard time distinguishing. So here he said is the distinguishing line right here. He says, wherefore, I give you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. So he says the first thing is that if a person is moving in the supernatural, if he is not giving Jesus the glory or if he's not giving Jesus the credit, it's the wrong spirit. See, even today we have like fortune tellers, Ouija boards. That is demonic. It's the wrong spirit. People go to hand, you know, what, what do they call that? Where they read your palm, palm reader, uh, you know, horoscopes, uh, uh, seances, where you have somebody come in and they do stuff like that. That's the wrong spirit. If they're not doing that under the, in the name of Jesus Christ, by the, they're not doing, then they're not doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And anytime it's supernatural, it has to come from one or two sources. It's either the Holy Spirit or it's an evil spirit. And evil spirits can mimic the operation of the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is when you open your place up or you open your life or you open your home up to, to these type of manifestations, evil spirits will spend time with you. And you don't want evil spirits to spend time with you. That's why in those situations you got to repent, you got to renounce that stuff, you got to burn your Ouija board and burn whatever else you have that connects you to that because it's evil and you'll have evil spirits bugging you. How many of you see what I'm saying? But see, they didn't know that. See, they had spiritual experiences, but they, they weren't distinguishing between. He goes, now, you know, he goes, he starts out by saying, you know you were carried away under these dumb, I like that, dumb idols. You know, the supernatural things, and they, they lured you away. The supernatural lured you away, and you were, ended up, be, you know, you have to be kind of dumb to bow down to a grotesque image of something and bow down and say, oh, thou great, whatever. Right? You've got to be kind of, you know, not all there. But he says, you were carried away, but they were under the influence of the wrong spirit. And so he says, so I'm giving you to know that the very first way you distinguish the wrong kind of spirit is where does the person, uh, it has to do with Jesus, does the person give glory and honor to Jesus? You know, I heard one person say that Jesus 
is perfect, perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology. And no one can say Jesus, Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. And so the reason I bring up that verse is just for this one reason, is that they were ignorant. They had ex- spiritual experiences. They were, they were high on spiritual experiences and low on Scripture. And we say, well, that's dangerous to, have, to, to be high in spiritual experiences and low on Scripture. And I agree. You know, if you, when you exalt experiences, what happens is you run the risk of people getting off. And you're absolutely right. But guess what? If you drop the spiritual and you only teach principles, you're already off. Right? You're already off. Because the Bible wasn't meant to just be for you to live just by dry principles. The Bible, wasn't, the Bible wasn't written so that you would just live by dry principles. You know, it's interesting. When, when, when God gave Israel the law, what's interesting about that is that it wasn't God, God gave Moses the law and said, now give this to the people. That's not the way it was originally set up. The way it was originally set up is God said, I'm going to come down. I'm going to come down and I'm going to meet with everybody. We're going to have a love fest. We're going to have a love fest together. It's going to be awesome. So, but the only problem is when God started coming down, it said all the mountains started shaking. Mount Sinai, and all of a sudden there was fire, and then there was lightnings, and the mountains shake, and things are blown apart. And there's this incredible presence comes into the place, and the people go, people, they all, the Bible says they all took off, and they stood afar off. Look, look at it in Exodus chapter 20, verses 18. It says, And all the people perceived the thunders and the lightnings and the voice of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Isn't that interesting? See, that wasn't God's design that they would would depart. And they said to Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear you. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. So what happened was, and Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before you, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where, the, where God was. And so at that point, they changed, God changed the whole thing, and so God set up the whole structure of, of the priesthood, where the priesthood would, would go before God on behalf of the people, and so there was a mediator between God and the people. But that wasn't the original intent. So then when God brought the New Testament in, he said, one of the things he said, they will all know me from the least to the greatest. They will all know me. But what happens is that the church today makes the same mistake. They say, you you tell us what God wants. Or in other words, we want his principles, but we don't want his presence. Because his presence scares the daylights out of us. Because the presence causes our heart to become undone. Because the presence exposes us. Because the presence cuts us up. Because the presence invades our space. Because the presence does something to us. Because the presence unleashes something inside. It opens up something inside of us that we would rather. And we might start getting crazy and start jerking and shouting. And we might start going, doing the Holy Ghost two steps. And we don't want that. We just want principles. We just want principles and we want to sit 
And we just want to learn. We just want to learn, but we don't want to experience. And God said, I don't want you just to learn. I want you to learn. I don't want you just to learn. I want you to learn and experience me. Because it's amazing what happens is when we start having encounters. It's amazing what happens. Because you can, you know, what's interesting when you have principles without presence, what happens is people, people, they negotiate. They go, do I really have to do that? Do I really got to stop doing this? Do I really got to stop? But when the presence comes, all of a sudden people go, I'll do anything. Just name it. I'll do it. Like I told you last week about my communion experience. And I said, I'll, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Or I'll die trying. I mean, that's how you feel when you have an experience. When there's an experience. And so when I read scripture, I'm not just trying to learn something. I'm trying to be fed. I'm trying to, I'm trying to have an encounter with the God of the scriptures. I, want, I, want to just, I don't want to just read. I want to hear his voice. I don't want to just learn something. I want to get fed. I want to be nourished. When I'm done, I want to go, wow, God is good. And so what happens so often is that we, we lose sight of the purpose. Because what happens is greater, greater fruitfulness comes from greater intimacy. And sometimes we want greater fruitfulness, but we don't want greater intimacy. We want the fruit and not the root. The root is greater intimacy people who walk with God, people who actually knew God, and they experienced God. You know, I said this one time, and people like, oh, well, they didn't know about that. But I said, you know, um, Christianity is based on experience. Being born again is an experience. It's a spiritual experience. Something happens to you. Something happened to me. When I received Christ into my life, something happened to me. I didn't see any great light. I didn't hear, like, any big... You know, there's no, angels weren't singing, but something happened on the inside of me. When I was filled with the spirits, something happened to me. It was a spiritual experience. I remember one time I was preaching in, in Ukraine, and we were preaching this, and I had been mur murmuring to myself because it was kind of a difficult trip, and it's a long story, but I was murmuring to myself, but we had gone into this city and when we gave the altar call, everybody stood up to get, receive Christ. So hundreds of people there. And we had to re-give the altar call three times to make sure that they understood that we're asking them to turn away from communism, turn away from uh, atheism, and, and receive Christ into their lives. And they all stood up. And so afterwards, they said, well, we'll pray for you if you're sick in your body. Well, then I was really tired. I had jet lag, and I was so tired. I was, I was exhausted. I was just kind of shaking. I was so tired. And all of a sudden, this long line appears, like from like way around the building, all these people want to be prayed for. And I went, oh, my God. I, I wanted to just go, I bless you all. You know? <laughs> no, 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 we're going to pray for each one individually. And so I'm praying, and I'm murmuring to myself, because I'm thinking, I can't believe this. I'm going through this. And all of a sudden, I heard the voice of God. And even to this day, it moves me when I, I think about it. He, I heard God say, thank you so much for coming. He said, the outcry of this place is so great. And its suffering is so intense. I needed somebody to come. Thank you for coming. And so now I'm crying and praying for everybody, you know. 
But it's, it's more than just principles. There has to be an experience. There has to be something where you have an encounter. And I realize when you say that to people, you're, you set a situation up where people can be like seeking like just sensations and they're seeking like this or seeking that. I realize that. But, and so they say, well, there's a danger in that. You shouldn't encourage that or, or, or even mention that. But let me just say this to you. There's also a danger in just having dry principles. That's also dangerous, very dangerous. And just going to church and going through the motions and just going sing, singing a few songs and just kind of lifting my hands and going, when is this over with? I hope the, the pulled pork dinner today is good and... Uh, how much am I going to give? I don't know, maybe 10 bucks or whatever. But I would encourage you to give more than that. But anyways, so I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, it's like, well, I'm just going through the motions instead of looking at it from the standpoint of making a connection. You know, one week I talked about people that have walked away from the faith. But you know, the key to having a living faith is having a living relationship. Not just a, I know the faith versus I know how to parrot these things, but not just to have the principles, but to have the spirit. And so it seems to me like the early church had more spirit, less word. And there has to be a combination of both. There has to be spirit and word. Like we used to have a saying, we used to say, if all you have is the spirit, you'll blow up. If all you have is the word, you'll dry up. But if you have the spirit and the word, you'll grow up. And so we're not just after having just principles. Just sit down and teach me principles. But we're after having an experience with a living God. And so let me just kind of bring this to a close. Um, and just I want to encourage you here that the heart of God is not just for us to be learn, just to learn. That's not the heart of God. Because when you think about this, when people learn things, like I said, when people just have dry principles, they're always trying to think of ways, how close to the line can I get and still be a Christian? Do you know what's kind of funny when you look at the, the Pharisees? Because clearly the Pharisees had word, they had principles, but they didn't have spirit. Clearly. How many would agree with that? I mean, they, they knew word, but they didn't have spirit. I mean, that's pretty clear pretty clear. And so that one of the things that they had is that you couldn't do work on, on, on the Sabbath, which was Saturday. And so what they, the Talmud explained that you could walk one mile. So sometimes when you see in scripture, it says that this place was a Sabbath day's journey. That means it was one mile. You could go walk one mile on the Sabbath day. So what they would do is that they had to do business on the Sabbath and it was two miles away. They would, they would hire somebody to take a part of their house, like a little, like something from their house, like a stick of wood or something from their house. And they would bring that person, that person would bring it out a mile from the, from the house and put it under a rock. And so then they would, they'd be able to walk one mile to, to that piece of wood, but then they see they're still by their house. So they'd be able to walk another mile. You say, well, that's stupid. No, that's what happens when people have the principles or the law, but they don't have a relationship with the lawgiver. See, because they're always trying to connive away. How far, how much can I do and still be okay where I haven't broken the law? 
But when people are in love with Jesus, it's so much different than that. I, or David, you know, he, or a lot of the people under, that lived under the law, they had just, you know, they had this type of mentality. But David goes, I woke up in the middle of the night and I thank you for your principles. I rise up morning, noon, and night and I thank you for your testimonies. He's like, where are you from? I mean, he's, why? Because he had made a connection. He had a relationship and he didn't just have law. You know, I want to be around people that don't just have law, but they have a relationship. When they come to church, they're excited about being in church. Woo, glory to God, we're in church. Jesus is going to show up, the one that we love, the one that we adore, the one that we worship, the one that we give everything for. He's going to show up today. I can't wait to get to church. And say, instead of saying, well, I got to go to church. But I don't go, Steve might call and say, where were I? Some of you will call and say, where were you? You know, I have, guess I have to go. See, clearly in that context, something's wrong. Isn't that true? God is not impressed with that. You know, another thing that they did in the Old Testament, I'll try to bring this to a close. Another thing that they did in the Old Testament was, in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, is they had to bring a sacrifice. And the sacrifice, the law declared the sacrifice had to be without blemish. Like a lamb without blemish. But they, they were, when your heart departs, what, what you lose, you look at it, you go, I don't want to give my best lamb. I got this one that's back leg is dragging a little bit, you know. <coughs> it's wheezing. It's only got one eye, you know. I don't want, to, I don't want that I don't want that animal to be bred. You know what I mean? I don't want, to, I want a bunch of those running around. So he goes, I'll give that one to God. So here he comes with his, with his lamb. His leg is dragging, you know, it's wheezing. <laughs> and God brought it up. God said, why don't you present that to one of your rulers? See what he thinks about it. You bring that to me. And he, God was offended by it because it wasn't the animal. It was the attitude of the people that brought that, their heart had departed from the Lord. It's like if you were married to somebody, some guy, you were married to a guy, if you're a woman, and, and all of a sudden the guy, you know, he's talking about this other woman all the time, and he sees the other woman, and he gets all giddy, and we should buy her something. And, and, and then when it comes to buy you something, buy you nothing. Oh, it's you. And then I'm, but I'm all excited. I mean, how many a woman would go, uh, wait a second here. That's not going to fly. You're too excited about that type of stuff. And we got to get to the point. You know, I was thinking about this this week as I was thinking about this message. We got to get to the, to the point where if we had a choice to have Bill Gates money, which is, I think it's 50, million, 50 billion or something, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. If we had a choice to have Bill Gates' money or intimacy with God, we'd choose intimacy with God every day of the week and twice on Sunday. We've got to have that attitude. Otherwise, something's wrong. Something's not right. Even though we could have principles, we could have knowledge, it doesn't matter if we don't have presence. We can have word, but if we don't have spirit, it doesn't matter. How many can see what I'm trying to say? 
So let's all stand together, have the worship team come. And so here's what I do as the worship team is coming. I don't ask the question, did I do my devotions today? Which I read my Bible every day and pray. I don't ask if I did my devotions today. My question is, did I connect with God today? And I don't mean I saw a bright light and fell on the floor. And, and, but I mean, did I, did I, when I was praying, when I was studying, when I was reading scripture, did I make a connection? Did something come alive inside of me from, from those scriptures? Did I see something? Did I get stuck somewhere on a passage or a verse or a phrase or something come alive and it meant, wow, that really speaks to me, that really feeds me? That's what I'm, that's what I'm after. I'm, I'm after food. I'm after heavenly manna. I'm after food. I want to I know you. I'm, not, I'm like, Paul, I want to know you. It's not like i got to read my five chapters a day. Boy, these are nuts. i got Psalms 119 today. As one of the five. Crud! <laughs> I'm going to be here for a long time today, you know. I think Psalms 19 has like almost 200 verses in it. I mean. But then you have one like Psalms 133 has three verses. All right. It's going to be a short day, you know. You have that attitude. You've got the wrong attitude. But, I, but the point is, I don't, the point isn't five chapters the point is, I want to find Jesus in these scriptures. I want to hear his voice. I want to be fed. I want to, I want to partake of heavenly manna today. That's what I'm after. I'm after being fed. Because then what happens is my heart becomes strengthened. And temptations that present themselves to me, I can resist the temptation because I'm, I'm edified, I'm built up. And then during the day, I can, I'm, I'm sensitive, I'm in tune, I can hear his voice. That's what I'm after. I'm after hearing his voice. I'm after making a connection. You know, I've ever wondered when you look at the early church and how they, I mean, they, they gave their lives. You think, I don't know if you ever thought about what if they, someone said, it's either you, it's either Jesus or your life. What would you do? Say, I don't ever heard of the guy, you know. I'll repent later. Roosters are crowing in the background. See, when, you, when, when your heart is, is in love, it's not even a choice. It's not even a decision. I mean, I've heard stories that were really hard for me to take, where families, where they rounded up families and they, they tell the father, I'm going to kill your kids unless you renounce Christ. You know what he said? Kids, I'll see you on the other side. Wow. That's, that's heavy. But could you do that? Well, in a relationship you could. But if you have dry principles, it's hard to do. Right? You'd be wanting to put that little piece of board a mile from your house under a rock and not say, no way, there's no way I'm, there's no way I'm denying him. There's no way. How many see me? Let's just close our eyes just for a moment. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, 
right now we just humble ourselves before you. And we just say with Paul that we want to know you. We want to know you, Lord. Could you just say that out to the Lord, just with your eyes closed, not necessarily in unison, but just say it a few times. Just say, Lord, I want to know you. Just say it. Just go ahead and say it. You don't have to say it in unison. Just say it over and over again a few times. I want to know you. Just think about what you're trying to say. Think about what you're saying as you say, I want to know you. 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 I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you. Hallelujah. I just want to know you, Lord. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want to partake, Lord. Hallelujah. I want to have an encounter with you. Hallelujah. I want my heart to be affected. Hallelujah. I don't want my head just to be affected. I want my heart to be affected. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's just lift our hand one more time. Just say, Lord, I want to know you. Just say it one more time. Just get your hand up just like you're receiving, like you're setting up, like you're putting up a signal, like an antenna. Lord, I want to know you. I want to experience you, Lord. Hallelujah. I want to experience you. I want to know you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Shekobo. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Can we sing a, sing one song? Just sing something. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.
praise God. Well, Lord, I just pray over your people today. I just pray, God, that there be, that you'd capture their hearts. We just pray for that urgency of, of the Spirit right now. That urgency, Lord. That there is an urgency in your kingdom right now for us to press in. Hallelujah. It's never before and know you. Hallelujah. Those things, Lord, that we desire in the natural are so, so unimportant, Lord. But, Lord, you add those things to us as we seek first your kingdom. And, Lord, I just, I just say, that I just speak this urgency over every single one of us right now. <clears throat> the urgency of the Spirit. The urgency of the hour that we live in. The urgency of your church to arise. The urgency of your church to reach out and touch you. The urgency for us to press in as never before. Hallelujah. To resist every negative influence and just be wholehearted, wholly devoted, following hard after you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I just pray that over this group of people today that there would come such an urgency inside of us. Hallelujah. That we would not be content with any natural thing or, and we would not be distracted by any natural voice or any natural circumstance. But the, Lord, that an urgency, an urgency would arise inside of us. I speak that over us. An urgency. I speak an urgency over us in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, I know that you're not far. You're not far from us. You're not far away. Even our answer to our prayers are not far away. Hallelujah, because you are near. But Lord, let us be focused. Let us be focused, we pray. Amen? Well, I want to give you the opportunity to be prayed for if the counselors could come and, and get in place. And so as soon as I dismiss, like I said, we have a dinner. It's a fundraiser, whatever you can do to help. It, the money goes to India orphans for their tuition and school tuition. I think it's more, I think it's a couple, 3,000 they need, something like that. So whatever you can do, we greatly appreciate it. And But if you don't have money to give, just please join us anyways. It's pulled, pulled, pulled pork, 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 two peas in a row, pulled pork, but it's good. It's, it's good food. Lord, thank you for the food. Bless the fellowship in Jesus' name. If you need prayer, please come forward and receive prayer. Otherwise, God bless you. We'll see you at the dinner table. You're free to go.